2: This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your next jig order today. Welcome to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. This is the final cast segment with your hosts, Brad Hicks and Josh Eldridge, where we cast our final opinions on all products, good and bad. Welcome to the final cast.
3: back to the final cast on the Paddle and Fin Network. I'm your host, Josh. And I'm Brad. How's it going, Brad? Doing good. How you doing? Good, good, good. How was was Rocky Fork? How'd that treat you?
2: Pretty good. Eighth place. Not bad. I should have placed higher, but I lost lost a good fish. But
3: you're leading. You're leading the Angler of the Year for CKF.
2: Congratulations, buddy. Thanks. Still got a few more events, though, so... Glenn will like this. I, I, I uh, pulled some out of the weeds on a jackhammer. I, I cold nice. a few times with it. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah. So we're uh we we bringing back Glenn Young. If you guys didn't lis- listen to the uh, episode back in the day, uh, well, when was that? February? Something like that? Yeah. yeah. We, we did a chatterbaits episode, and it was so popular, we still get comments on it. So we're Hopefully bringing Oh, yeah. Hey, all positive reviews, so. Uh, we're bringing you back and we're going to talk Ned Rig, uh, history of the Ned Rig, and uh, maybe a few little other uh, new stuff you guys are releasing. So, uh, Glenn, welcome back to the show. Um, Thank you. G- give the listeners three things that they don't know about you that you haven't said in the previous episode. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, well, I finally trimmed as I was looking. Um, so, I was waiting for my barber in downtown Charleston to reopen and do beard trims, but that's not going to be for a while, so I decided <laughs> I needed to just take charge of it myself. Um, yep, um, I was an empty nester until the COVID thing came along and my daughter had to move back home again, oh. uh, but, but that's okay. That's all right. I love being around her. She's a good kid, so I don't mind. She's my little fishing buddy, too, so it, it worked out just fine, um, and um, the other thing that a lot of people may not know about me is that I get hardly any time to fish anymore.
2: that's not any good
4: yeah no it's not any good and i'll also tell you this a lot of people think that because i'm in the business i fish tournaments and stuff all the time and i can kind of one hand the number of tournaments i've actually fished and (laughs) as part of the virtual icast show that they had recently uh they had what they called the icast cup which was a virtual tournament Mm -hmm. and they they did it like you would a standard kayak tournament with you know the whole cpr and um So, I mean, I went out and bought an official bunt board, everything I got, you know, everything I needed to do, registered for it, did some pre-scouting because, you know, you have to fish public waters, so I can't just go to my local club where I belong, Yeah. you know, which kind of sucked because I know that water, and (laughs) so I had had to go someplace else, so I had a couple of options, and I went to a place called Goose Creek Reservoir, which isn't very far from here, beautiful, beautiful lake, and uh, scattered it out the Friday before the tournament. Thought I had it all figured out, um, and I didn't. So. Yeah. <laughs> it
2: it always goes that way. Like pre if pre fishing sucks, you always have a decent tournament. But if you do good pre fishing, you have an awful tournament. It seems like.
4: <laughs> well, I didn't even do good pre fishing, but at least I found some. So yeah. I, I had kind of a plan, but you know, ten hours and six miles later, I still really didn't have anything to show for it. <laughs> so it was, uh, and it was hot. Oh yeah, my god! Sounds like it, my
2: tournament this weekend. I mean, yeah. it was I, I
4: o-
3: think over the 100... entire U.S. caught on fire this past week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it,
4: it was, it was so bad out there. I mean, literally, the, I think the heat index is like 104, 105, and I mean, it was just brutal. And the fish were like, nope, sorry, yeah. we, d- we just don't like this weather.
2: <laughs> yeah,
4: like, same I here. Hate. I mean, yeah, I don't like it, but. Y'all could do me a favor and maybe just, you know, put one or two of you in the boat. I mean, I'm not asking for a lot here. Yeah. Uh, Didn't work. It was one of those days. We all have them. I just couldn't, I couldn't put anything in the boat. And it even came down to towards the end of the day. I'm like, look, I've got to land something, anything. I don't care. So I way downsized. I went to a little slim swim on a lightweight head because there were a ton of brim in the area. Hooked a decent sized bluegill, like okay, look, at least I got something, and it came off at of the boat. So it was just, <laughs> you know, it, yeah, it happens. Like, you know, yeah. it just happens.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's funny. No, I know the feeling. So I'm I was, cool. laughing,
3: I was laughing at Brad and him because Brad had somebody had talked about wind, and Brad's like, it's totally calm here. It's just really hot, and I was laughing because I knew the wind was coming. Like yeah. throughout the day, I did a like, you know, did the wind forecast and I was cracking up because I'm all like, he's sitting there talking about how calm and, and nice. And then I'm like, dude, it's about to be like 95 and 15 mile per hour wind. So basically, you're fishing in a, you know, a hair dryer
2: the whole <laughs> well, day,
3: basically. We, yeah.
2: You saw my video across the lake, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I, we, we had some waves. They were like two, two foot rollers, I guess. And I was just cutting through my deck. The kayak was completely underwater. Thank God for scupper holes.
3: No, like, I wouldn't
2: have survived. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, uh, it's uh,
3: it's been a really, in my opinion, an abnormally wind, windy year so far. Like ten, tonight, I looked out the window and I'm like, you know, it's probably still close to ninety degrees outside and the wind's just blowing like 15 20 miles per hour out there still and i'm like and here in ohio man it's just been relentless like i work outdoors and it's just it's been frustrating like fishing wise work wise like everything i'm like you know and and then the the actual calm days that we've had have been like blistering hot so it's like you know and but then you're like oh it's gonna be windy today and it's still blistering hot out so yeah
2: (laughs) Yeah.
3: like this morning i was all stoked i woke up and i'm like it's 68 degrees outside a little breeze i'm like it feels beautiful out here like four hours later i'm profusely sweating like oh nope
2: there's the normal july weather yeah <laughs> well enough of the weather talk let's let's get into the good stuff yeah let's do it so uh ned rig uh let, let, let's talk about the history of it uh, how, how did it start who started it and What makes it successful?
4: Well, um, hopefully my internet connection will remain intact uh, while we do this, because your audio broke up a little bit there, too, and I don't know, I've been kind of experiencing some of that lately. But um, essentially, the Ned Rig goes back decades. I mean, a lot of people think this is fairly new, but it really is not. It goes back decades. It actually kind of started um, with a guy named Chuck Woods, who was the original inventor of the beetle spin and the beetle, um, the stump jumper. He was a a real finesse guy. And he was throwing smaller baits, you know, like the little beetles on small jig heads on spinning gear back in the fifties. And so, I mean, it kind of started, I mean, so it goes back that far. And then you can progress a little bit further. This all basically started in the Midwest. That's why they call it the Midwest Finesse Technique. And it kind of moved on from there. And one of the guys that really kind of uh, took a hold of it was Guido Hibden. Because uh, he's in Missouri, and he did a lot of finesse stuff in those lakes in Missouri. So it was, a, it was kind of a big tactic for him, cutting baits down using small profiles, smaller crawfish-style baits, uh, really just kind of downsizing all of his gear to get bites in high-pressured situations. So it's something that's been going on for a very, very long time. And really what kind of brought it to the forefront was when Ned Cady, discovered a um and he kind of he discovered it through believe it or not through this guy I don't know if you've heard of him his name is Kevin Van Dam um, <laughs> I heard he's kind of he's, he's, he's kind of good
2: yeah but, a little bit
4: <laughs> but he, yeah but he actually he gave Ned this is around 2006 he gave Ned a at a tech bait it was one that was being made for striking at the time called the zeros which is our zincers now and um, he gave him one of those, and Ned was fascinated by this material and discovered that it was incredibly durable, and that once the salt wore it out of it, that it was also very buoyant. And Because Ned was already kind of working on this technique, and then, that, I think it was that same year, he fished with uh, Shin Fukai um, on Beaver Lake, and Shin was very much into the finesse techniques, um, and kind of doing the same thing we do with the Ned Rig now, fishing very small baits just off the bottom, very slow retrieves, things like that. And so Ned really started to work on refining this technique uh, because where he lives in Kansas, he fishes a lot of very highly pressured public reservoirs. And so these waters get pounded daily by what he calls power fishermen. And these guys that just you know, go up and down the bank, just pounded the bank with big baits, you know reaction baits, crank baits, spinner baits, everything, just, just really just kind of power fishing their way through the lake, putting a lot of pressure on the fish. His goal was to develop a technique that he could go in behind these guys and still be able to generate bites. So that's when he started to work on uh, developing, you know, this technique more so than the baits. The baits came later, but the technique is kind of what came first. Using these small baits, like basically what he was doing, he would take that zero, cut it in half, and he would affix that to a gopher head. And he would fish it very, very slowly. And he would experiment with different retrieve speeds and different styles of retrieves, things from just dead sticking on the bottom to slowly dragging it on the bottom, hopping along the bottom, fishing what they call a swim and glide technique or a swim and shake routine. I mean, there was a bunch of different things that he would experiment with. And the thing with Ned is that he's very, very detail oriented. So he keeps track of everything that he does when he's on the water, every little detail the barometric pressure, the salooner cycle, um, the water clarity, um, I mean, you name it, he has paid attention to every single detail along the way, and then he keeps track of every bass that he catches, he counts, he keeps a little counter with him, and he counts every bass that he gets in the boat. The goal when they go out, and a lot of these guys that are belong to the Finesse News Network that all follow Ned, their goal when they go out is to try to catch 100 bass in four hours. That's kind of their benchmark. And it seems like a lot, but it's, <laughs> it's actually very, very doable. Um, so when they go out and they try to do this, when Ned's doing this, he documents every single trip that he takes. So he, he writes a report about it, what the temperature was, the barometric pressures, the lunar cycle, all that, the baits that he used, the depths that he fished at it, the retrieves that he used, everything. So he keeps track of everything. So he's got this massive library of data that he's able to pull from Mm-hmm. to really fine tune his technique so when he gets into a situation where nothing else is being bit this technique he has options he can go in behind these power fishermen and dial it in and still get those bites when nobody else is getting them that was really the premise behind that whole ned rig thing and it really it really wasn't initially called a ned rig technique and What kind of turned it into the net when In Fisherman started to write about it because Ned is the finesse guru for In Fisherman magazine. So he writes all of their finesse articles and stuff for them on their finesse page online. And one of the writers, Steve Quinn, is the guy who kind of gave it the moniker of the Ned rig because it was Ned Cady's deal that he was doing. And it kind of started to catch on um, with the circle of people around Ned in the Midwest, um, Kansas, and Missouri, those areas primarily, that everybody started to employ this technique. And really what set it off for Ned and got his wheels turning was really just the material, Elastec, mm-hmm. that here's this durable material and it's buoyant. And the buoyancy now allows Ned to really dial in his sink rate, his retrieve speeds, The head weights, anything now that he has a buoyant bait, he can do so many more things with it and really get specific about how he wants to dial it at. And that's kind of how it came about. Now, a good friend of his is a guy named Drew Reese. um, We have actually, we have a video that we did, a Project Z video, a profiles video on Drew. Uh, that's on the Z-Man website. Uh, it's it's a fascinating look at, at a really fascinating guy. Drew spends most of his time in Canada, and then he comes down to the U.S. Um, and fishes down here when he can't fish up there. And he's a smallmouth guy. I mean, this is what he does. And he keeps track of his smallmouth throughout the year, and he catches around anywhere from five to 6,000 smallmouth in a season up there by using this technique. Yeah, mind-blowing numbers. And what got him going on this whole thing, on the Nedrig thing, was he fished with Ned once. And... Ned was using his technique and using this material, and Drew wasn't. Drew went with his standard tube that he throws everywhere, and he always catches fish, and Ned's smoking him, and he's like, what are you doing that is so different from what (laughs) I'm doing? I don't understand this, because the thing with Drew is Drew has been around a long time. He actually helped design baits for other lure companies, too, back in the Mm -hmm. day. He even fished the very first Bassmasters Classic. He finished seventh, actually, in the very first classic. I mean, so Drew has a pedigree, and he has some history in this. He really does. this guy knows what he's doing. And to get smoked by Ned, he was just like, no, no, that's not going (laughs) to work. No, no, I got to see what the heck's going on here. So then that kind of got Drew's wheels turning. And Drew immediately started to think of of ways to incorporate this Elastec into bait profiles that really match up to what he wants to see out of a finesse presentation and this Midwest finesse, finesse technique. So backing up a little bit, before we ever had any of these baits, you know, we had a lot of Elastec baits. We had stuff in the lineup already that Ned was using as a Nedrick bait, aside from the zincers, the half the zincers. And what he would do actually with the zincers is he would actually put them in boiling water and just let the salt go out of them. And then he would cut it in half and use it. And it made it super soft, supple and buoyant. And that's what he wanted. So the fish would hang on to it longer too. And so he would do that. But then we also came, we had, uh, we had our finesse worms then. So he found our, he discovered our uh, four inch finesse worm. And he would cut that down. The thing with Ned is he cuts everything. It doesn't matter. You can make a bait specifically, exactly the way he wants. He's going to get it. And he's going to cut it up and make something different out of it. But it's just he's a tinkerer. He always he's yeah. always tinker, You know, every time that you give him something, it's like, oh, but what if you do this with it? Well, but you asked me to make it this way. So <laughs> we we had um, we had a bait at the time called the finesse. We call it the finesse shad. It was our shad-shaped worm, and you can mm-hmm. kind of see what that is right there. So that's our finesse shad, and. That was one of the profiles. And then this one here, he really fell in love with. This was called the TRD minnows. And originally, when we had this out, this was called a rain minnows at the time. Mm-hmm. It was a bait we were making for the Northeast saltwater inshore market because it would look like a little sand eel. Um, and in other areas, it would look like a candlefish or numerous other small bait fish. So Ned started really tinkering around, playing a lot with these baits and really taken around with them. And at this time still, we weren't calling anything a Ned Rig. Um, we weren't labeling packages Ned Rig or anything like that. That didn't come about till later. But what we wanted to do is once Ned really got onto this was work with him, find mm-hmm. out what he's doing. How is he doing this? How does this whole thing work? And I had an opportunity to go to Kansas and actually fish with them early on in this process before we had any of the current Ned Rig baits we have. Because I wanted to get on his boat and I want to see exactly what this guy's doing. How is he fishing these things? How is this thing being applied? I mean, I, I, I want to know what this guy's doing. So I got on the bed with him and I had an opportunity to fish. And I told myself, okay, I'm just going to do exactly what, I do exactly what he's doing and figure out how this whole thing works before we get into start working on baits for this whole technique. And we fished a public reservoir not far from where he lives. And going back, remember that their benchmark is 100 bass in four hours. Now, we did get chased off the lake twice by tornadoes that day, which made it interesting. However, we still got our four hours in, and we got 104 bass that day using this technique. Now, along the way, we caught about 160 fish in total because we caught every other species that swims in that lake along the way using this technique because everything eats it, it's universal. Mm-hmm. We were using the orange finesse worms, cutting those down, cutting zincers down, fishing the finesse shads, and fishing the the rain minnows at the time, which is now the TRD minnows. And um, so I, the, the thing that would fascinate me about Ned is that he, every time he would bring in a fish, he would click his clicker and he would grab his clipboard and his notepad and he would make notes. And then I'm just like, wow. Um, and to give you an idea of the attention to detail that he has, while we were fishing, we're, we're going along fishing a bank. And, and of course, in order to catch this many fish, we're bringing him in two at a time, basically. And so I'm bringing a fish and he's bringing one in. He gets his in. He picks it up and writes his notes. And I hear him say out loud, Okay, I got that on the 13th turn of the handle. And he sat down. <laughs> wow. I was like, what? And I looked at him and said, well, I got mine, like, right there somewhere. <laughs> Get between us and the bank. I had no idea that he, I mean, that's the level of detail that he goes to to track success along the way. And it's fascinating because he's very, very narrow focused on this technique. Um, He will only fish an open hook. He will only fish those gopher-style heads, and he would only fish these style baits, period. All of his spinning reels, he's removed the bales from them. Um, I mean, he's very old school in a lot of things that he does, very particular about what he does. And so we would would go along, and one thing I noticed, there were certain pieces of water that Ned wouldn't fish. Because he would tell me, I said, why aren't you fishing that? Because I know there's got to be fish in there. And he'd say, well, I can't get my open hook through that yeah all right fair enough all right so i get it um but the one that got me was he was we were cruising along the lake and then he he went by this grass flat that i really wish that i could throw an image up right now on my computer but i don't think words can adequately describe how beautiful and perfect this grass flat was i mean it was probably about four feet deep crystal clear grass about that high i mean mm-hmm. it was just like angels singing you know? and <laughs> like, ah! yeah. i was like oh look at this and he, he's starting to go past i go whoa 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 hey hey wh- wh- what are you doing well I, I don't normally fish that i can't fish my jig head through there and i said well can i can i try it <laughs> <Can> I? <laughs> I mean i was like I, I i'm sorry but i can't pass this up so he said, well, sure, yeah. I because because I had him, I said, I said, I have an idea how I could fish this. So, what I did is I'll show you what I, did. I took. I had that, uh, that TRD Minnows, and what mm-hmm. I did is I took a really lightweight EWG hook like this one, it was like a two-odd, I think, is what I had on me, and I rigged it up weightless, like yeah. So, I had it, so I had it rigged like this, and so now it's basically a little topwater bait and it'll stay like right under the surface and twitch and dart and walk and all that stuff. Oh, that's a good idea, so yeah, so. I'm still finesse fishing, right? Mm So using the finesse bait, if anything, it's even more finesse because there's no weight on it. And and granted, you have to have a really lightweight rod to throw that because there's not a lot of weight on it. But I threw it out there and I actually caught four fish in four casts. Wow. And and so, you know, I was like, there's fish here. And Ned goes, wow, that is fascinating. I never would have thought to do that. And then he just kept right on going. (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's awesome. So yeah, You mentioned uh, uh, rigging it up on the EWG hook. Uh, What I do with the TRD, I'll, like, kind of Texas rig it on a shrooms. I know it's not really practical, but but it works.
4: It is practical. No, it is practical. It's very practical. Um, I've been doing that for a long time, only because a lot of the places that I fish regularly, I simply can't throw an open hook. Right, And before we had all these other options to rig things up weedless, that was the only way I could fish most of the areas that I did fish was by Texas rigging it and keeping it weedless. You know, there were doubts. I had uh, one of the guys I worked with was like, "Ah, that's not going to work. You're going to miss way too many fish when they rig like that. I was like, man, we'll see about that. So the day I tried that technique, um, I went out to a nearby reservoir where I live. We have a little narrow where you know the fish are going to I got there right on time for that window and all the fish were up shallow I could see where the beds were it was gin clear water so my stat for the day was I spotted 10 cast 10 hooked 10 landed 10 so oh, wow. I did not miss a single fish that day with that with it rigged that way you know and it, and, it, and you're not going to I mean look if you if you missed him or you didn't hook him you probably wouldn't have had him on an open hook either. You know, just bad hook placement. You don't have control over where that hook goes into their mouth. It could hit a bone or play something hard or just not get in there solidly. I don't care how you rigged it, it's, he's going to get off. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't help that. But at least I have the confidence knowing I can throw that TRD places that I can't throw it with an open hook. Right. So, yeah,
2: exactly what I do. I, I'll throw that thing in wood cover, like th- thickest wood cover I can, and it doesn't yep. get hung up.
4: No, and it's it's a very effective. And like you said, you really don't miss very many fish. And if you right. didn't get them, you probably weren't going to get them anyway. Yeah. And most of the time, if I do throw an open hook, it's when I'm throwing an open water with with a swimming presentation. Mm-hmm. I, know, I throw way. the
2: open hook a lot in in rivers with like loose gravel, not not real big rock, maybe softball size, but any anything else, I'll t- Texas rig it on that shroom's hook.
4: Yep, yeah, it's really effective to do it that way. It really is. So. Um, but Ned wouldn't have anything to do with fishing weedless <laughs> altering his That's rigs crazy. or anything. Yeah, but this is why, I mean, this whole technique works because he's so focused, laser focused on just that. Um, I even showed him, because I did actually rig one weedless. We didn't have the finesse rooms back then either when I was fishing mm-hmm. with him. I had to make do with what I had. And I, um, I actually cut down one of our little creature baits and, and stuck it on a hook, fished it weedless, threw it into stuff that he wouldn't fish. Um, Because it was, there was too much weed in there. And I pulled out a six pounder, biggest fish of the day. Wow. And And he's probably
2: like, oh man, that's crazy. (laughs)
4: He's like, that's great.
2: Move on. (laughs) Yep, That just blows my mind, man. That's crazy.
4: Yeah. (laughs) But you know, the thing is, is that there are enough other tinkerers out there around him though, too, that have all taken to this technique now that. They're coming up with ideas on how to rig it and mm. how to, you know, what kind of a profile or what kind of a rig do I use in a certain situation? You know, and with the, the history of this going back, you know, with the finesse shads, the TRD minnows, um, the next step up for us was the hula stick. And mm-hmm. the hula stick, again, is one of our Nedric baits, but again, at the time was not considered, we didn't call it a Nedric bait at the time. So it was designed by Drew Reese. And the hula stick, when he designed it, the whole premise behind this thing was a lot of the forge that they base this Nedrick stuff on is crawdads, you know. Mm -hmm. And and so when Drew designed the hula stick, what he wanted, the reason he put these little legs on there and those tentacles, that was to mimic molting flesh. Mm. So when a crawdad is molting and they've got bits of flesh hanging off of them still, that's kind of what that represented. So the hula stick was his stick bait design with some little tentacles at the end. So, again, when we came out with that, we still weren't labeling it Nedrig. It was just one of the new finesse baits in our lineup.
2: Is that, um, uh, is that bait uh, better certain times of the year then?
4: Um, you know what? I think for me it's better when I want to throw a little bit larger profile out there. Okay. Uh, that's, that's typically when I do throw that. I do think that when you're when you're working with anything in the early springtime, um, when you do have crawdads molting, things like that, I think that pattern is going to be incredibly effective. I think any time that time of year when your fish are still essentially down there and still looking down, um, that's where that bait's very effective. And the thing with the holistic is that. Because it's a little bit longer and you do have those tentacles, it tends to stand up a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. So it will it will get noticed in a situation where sometimes maybe a shorter bait or a bait with no appendages or anything may not get noticed. You know, so that's really where that hula stick comes in. It's just kind of that little extra action that you have in there on that, and that little extra length on it to stand it up somewhat higher.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: But you know, I've done really well cutting it down and swimming it. So, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of different ways that you can throw it. It's a very universal profile. And then what happened was the next one that we came out with was the TRD. Mm-hmm. So that's when we, you know, when Drew sent us the design for this. And, I mean, it was a basically, you know, he was basing it off of Ned's original Zinkers, you know. But we elongated a little bit. We put nubs on it, added some life to it. Um, You know, instead of just a plain old cut up thing, we designed this to be a bait unto itself, not to look like just a half of a a zanker. That's Mm -hmm. not what we wanted to do. We wanted to create an actual lure uh, unto itself. And that's what the TRD was. So, and the TRD name came about because um, it actually stands for the real deal. So there were two purposes behind naming it the TRD. The first was, for years this little rig had been called a turd rig, a dookie rig. I mean all kinds of different names because it's basically a little turd, it's a little piece of poop. So everybody that was they had all these nicknames. So the TRD by calling it the real deal, it was the real deal Ned Rig bait you know, designed specifically for this technique from scratch, from the ground up, designed to be the real deal Nedrick bait. And it still allowed us to call it a turd, which the guys that have been fishing this forever in the Midwest are like, I know what a turd is. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of the reason we, we used that name. And I mean, it, it's paid off because it was instantly recognizable for the guys yeah. that were doing it. Well, they knew exactly what it was. And then it was, you know, it was a matter of us trying to convince the rest of the world that this technique really does work, you know, and it will work anywhere. I don't care where you are in the U.S. or in the world, this technique will work. It's such a universal profile. Now, one of the things that that little design is supposed to look like, and maybe if I hold it in the darker way you can see it better, but one of the things that this is designed to look like is a crawdad that has molted lost its claws okay so now it's it's completely defenseless so there's i mean you look at that bait there are no arms legs appendages claws nothing on here there is nothing that would prevent a fish from putting that in its mouth
2: yeah th- that's interesting you say that because y- you see other bait companies and people post pictures of the fish picking off the pinchers
0: yes Exactly.
2: so so that makes sense why that trd works because they're uh, they're like oh free meal and then they just munch on it
4: exactly and the thing is even without it even if it's not representing a crawdad that generic shape itself could represent a lot of different things a Mm -hmm. fleeing minnow. it could look like any number of different forage i mean it could look like a a dragonfly nymph um you know there's a lot of different types of underwater forage that can take that shape but even if it doesn't resemble anything exactly the fact is that it's a generic shape with no harm that can be done to the fish when they pick it up. So there's no reason they can't eat it, which is one of the reasons it's so effective when nothing else is being eaten. Hmm. The fish can look at that and go, okay, well, that's safe. I can go ahead and pick that up. You know, So that's one of the things that makes it so effective. And I don't know what it looks like to a lot of different fish. Um, I had an opportunity in, I think it was 2015, I went to Australia and spent a couple of weeks down there. And I took some TRDs down there with me. Um, we didn't have the finesse rooms, but I took them down there and I caught all kinds of different species um, mm-hmm. on the TRD down there. I mean, I went out, we did a thing, uh, we fished for what they call brim down there, which is essentially a silver perch. It's a saltwater fish that they have down there that basically everybody fishes for. It's equivalent to our bass down there. Mm-hmm. Everybody fishes for brim down there. And I took it out and threw it for brim and hammered it.
3: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever.
4: amazed that they would eat this thing it's like why wouldn't they yeah there's no reason that they can't eat it um i took it out to oregon and i've caught sea run cutthroat on it out there um, we've had a lot of people use it for you know for rainbow trout and german browns and everything else only because it's got that universally safe profile of food that any fish can eat yeah yeah so that's that, why it's so effective
2: yeah, I, I've I've caught so many species on it from largemouth, smallmouth, uh, catfish. Yep, I just caught some kind of sucker fish. I don't even know what what it was yesterday, but I'm the
3: river. Yeah. yeah, was it one of those quillback sucker fish that have like yeah. The, yeah. a little
2: pointy dorsal yeah. fin? Yeah, was yeah. it a quillback?
3: Yeah, yeah, there's a ton of them in the GMR so.
2: Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I caught. I was like, I've never caught one of these. This is those weird. things, those things are
3: yeah. kind of fun because they'll catch. They'll you'll hook them on artificial lures because they're they'll bite, like artificial lures. So they're you're not a lot of times just snagging them like a common right. carp you might. Yeah. And um, especially in the river, those things are pretty um, pretty active. Uh, you'll they're they're one of the fish, Brad, that you'll see, especially when it rains and the water muddies up and they start hitting the surface. For bugs, and you think that you're about to like go to town on like a smallmouth frenzy, yeah. And, uh, it, <laughs> yeah. It tends, yeah. it tends to be
4: those. So, yeah, that's cool. I've caught on them too. We have uh, there used to be a huge run of them that would migrate up the Broad River um, yeah. all the time, and I mean it look like a salmon run going oh, through. Wow. They'd be so thick, and uh, I caught one on a hula stick. Yeah. It's like okay, whatever. hula
3: stick's one of my favorite smallmouth baits. Like I don't throw it very often because it's a bait that I, I I ended up getting into throwing the ticklers because it's a shorter version of it in a sense. Um, but the one thing, the problem with the hula sticks it wasn't with bigger bass, it was, it tended to be the smaller ones and they would just pick the bait up, you know, and they wouldn't get down the hook. Cause I mean, that baits, you know, it's a decent length. And like, even when you use the longer, um, Ned heads, like it's it, it, it's still they just like to sometimes just pick it up and drop it. Like it's, yeah, it's kind of funny, but because I, one time I found a hole and it was probably loaded, loaded with 13 to 14 inch uh smallmouth and I must have missed like 35 hits because I think they were just like, <laughs> they were just, they weren't sure, man. They would just pick it up and I'm like, oh, fish and nothing. Oh, <laughs> right. fish, nothing,
2: dude. Like, I'm like, I'm just getting toyed with here, but but on the other hand if you if you go too short you end up gut hooking them sometimes which is yeah that yeah. sucks but it is what it is mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> yep very effective bait but that's kind of what led to the the holistic because that was the or the uh the uh the ticklers because that was another drew reese design um he was tinkering cutting up baits i mean essentially the ticklers is kind of the culmination of the years and years and years of these guys cutting up baits and creating profiles and trying to figure out the ultimate Ned Rig profile, mm-hmm. and that's really what the Ticklers was designed to be. Yeah. So that was what Drew wanted to create when he created that, and essentially, that's um, I mean, kind of what he did. Uh, so, I mean, because there's the the Ticklers, and mm-hmm. the Ticklers, and you compare that to side by side to the hula sticks i mean you see a huge difference between the two there's a big difference between the two um this has a little bit fatter round end here at the top Mm -hmm. end so a little bit more tapered profile and the tentacles are a little bit longer on it too so it gives it a little bit more action and so one of the ways that this is very effective is on a swimming presentation too because it'll definitely have that bait fish profile when you swim it with that Mm -hmm. tail moving and swimming back behind it or on the bottom simply dead stick with the tentacles sitting there moving and waving with the water so you do have a lot of options with that you really do well,
2: what is your favorite way to fish the net rig
4: i would say most of the time on a swimming presentation hmm. uh, that's,
2: I, that's the that's the one i've never tried
4: mm-hmm. that's typically how i catch most of my fish i mean there's look, there's days i got to slow it down put it on the bottom for
2: them. yeah but
4: most of the time, I'm more productive on what they would call like the swim and glide or the swim and shake routine where um, I use a very light head. I usually use a 1 20th ounce head, mm-hmm. uh, keep it relatively shallow or just slow the fall rate because in any fishing application, control is everything. And I like to have control over my sink rate and my depth of my presentation in Mm. order to do that I have to use a lighter head, so I go to a 1 20th ounce So that allows me to slow the fall rate put it in the zone where I want it and then begin my slow retrieve back And so I reel it in very very slowly with little gentle twitches of the rod tip. That's all I'm doing Mm. Because any little rod tip I do like this any subtle movement here moves the bait a lot Yeah, that's something. I don't think a lot of people understand how much their bait actually moves like especially you're fishing under the bottom you got guys that do this you just moved your bait a foot you did i mean there's like
3: you're like you're, your no. crawl looks like it's on steroids bro <laughs> yes
4: i mean the, the fish is like hey look at that how to go and then
2: <laughs> man see see i, I bounce my Ned hit my Ned rig uh I'll, I'll let it sink and then i'll twitch it I, I probably pull it too much at times but and then i'll let it sit back there and i'll dead stick it and most of the time i'll get the hit when it's dead uh when i'm dead sticking it there and then i won't know i have a fish on until i see the line start moving and then i just lift up slowly
4: yeah a lot of times if you've ever had a chance to watch them go after an rig, which i have many times mm-hmm. when you get a chance to actually watch a fish react to it on that presentation that you're talking about or use the hopping presentation that hop is where it catch. So it comes up, they're like, whoa, then it hits the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then they swim up and they're looking at it. Oh, what are you?'m I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat it. And that's usually when you get that that's when you get that bite. They saw it hop up. They got their attention. Now it's dead on the bottom, standing up and they're, that's when they swim over. and you'll watch them. They'll sit there and look at it for a second and then eat it. You know, very seldom is it just like immediate, just hammer it. Yeah. You know, sometimes like in the springtime when they're, when they're really aggressive, a lot of times I'll watch them see it on the fall. It doesn't even get to the bottom. Yeah. Check it out. It's I'll, on its way I'll, down. I'll, they're I'll. swimming up to meet it, you know, and taking it there. And, but there's other times of year where you, you do have to slow it down, you know, and, and Ned's thing was always look, as soon as you think you're fishing it slow, slow down even more. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you're probably fishing too fast.
2: Yeah. I had one nail it uh sunday in in our tournament right right when it hit the water it just nailed it it was a big fish i ended up losing the thing i was mad but man it nailed it i i felt it too i had slack in the line and i felt Ah. it immediately it was a good fish too and you could tell just by the way he thumped it right (sighs) now i i got some questions
3: ned um like in regards to like hook setting with this. Cause I, I struggled with that bait for a long time. In fact, I hated it. Um, because people. I lost so many fish with it. Like I'm like, yes, this thing is a fish catching machine. Don't get me wrong. You catch a lot of, you know, small fish, but you know, I'm, I was never want to say you can't catch big fish because sometimes you just got to weed through the little ones and then yeah. you'll fire up the big ones. That's, that's just, you know, kind of known, right. but for like literally the first two to three months that i used it i must have lost like 75 percent of the fish that i would hook up with and this is just kind of what my adjustment is and maybe you can agree with it and give some pointers to like maybe some people who are new to it or even some people who are veterans of using the technique but maybe they experience the same thing i don't know but i would like hook set like not hard, but like I would, like if I was jig fishing and I'm not talking about ripping it cause I knew I would have to slow it down. It's a smaller profile. All it's right. a smaller hook diameter and everything like that, but I would still hook set. And I'm not sure hundred percent for a long time. I, I kept thinking that, all right, it's, it's gotta be that I'm not used to fishing this style of head, you know, with the mushroom style with a straight shank kind of or straight hook exposed because for so long I was I was all in like weedless profiles. I'm like, make everything right. as weedless and snagless as possible. So I got used sure. to throwing EWGs. Right. When I end up I in my mind, I kept thinking, I'm like, OK, whatever I'm doing, I think it's a mixture of the style of head that it is mixed with me hook setting um a little too hard and fast and i was Mm -hmm. placing basically that weight outside of its mouth in my this is what that was my thinking about it and then at that point with it being such a thin hook that if the fish could shake just a little bit you know that hook being or that that weight being outside of its mouth could like just Mm -hmm. jiggle real easy and pop out
4: leverage you know its way out.
3: Mm-hmm. yeah and um so i ended up what i ended up stopping doing was hook setting like that mm-hmm. and i got this kind of idea well i i kind of just basically adopted the fact of how one time i went peacock bass fishing in hawaii on my uh honeymoon and we were using um little tilapia little tiny ones on little circle hooks and i was like right. maybe it's maybe if i just fish like you would like that or like, you know, how catfishing is and sure. stop hook setting, raise my rod tip and just reel into it. And literally my hookup ratio went sky high as soon as I yes. stopped, stopped swinging, you know?
1: Yep. That's a is big that, part of it. Then,
3: do you think that's like, do you, would you agree that or disagree? Is there a better way of doing hook sets for it? Or is that a, is that kind of the intention of it? Like, r- you know, reel into it, raise your rod tip up and, mm-hmm. you know, let the hook do no, do its business.
4: Yeah. The ideal hook set is what you just described where you allow that line to go tight and then you just simply raise your rod tip up, meet it and just start reeling because with a thin wire hook like that, the reason it is thin wired like that is because a lot of these guys were fishing super light line for four, four pounds, six pound line. You can't jump out of your shoes and set a hook on that stuff. So the hook has to be able to get in with very little effort whatsoever. So you, one thing You want it to just get real. Up, the hook hits and goes through. And that's what you're looking for. You don't want to do a big jerk because when you do a quick motion like that, wherever that hook was in the fish's mouth at the time, you've just now moved it. Yeah. If he has it in his mouth, it's already probably, the hook point's already probably touching some flesh right mm. there. Okay. So now if you just simply let that go tight, that hook's going to penetrate. But if it's simply just touching right here and you jerk it, you're losing that hook set ability. So that's why simply raising your rod tip up, allowing the line to go tight, as long as you go tight and that rod tip bends, the pressure of that's going to drive that hook in. And that's ideally what you're looking for in a hook set. You don't want to jump out of your shoes, you know, set the hook like that. That's going to really mess up your hook up and landing percentage every single time.
2: So yeah. I kind I, I did that yesterday. I, I set the hook too hard. It kinda it like threw me off. It was a tiny fish. I, I set the hook and I jerked that thing. And the thing came flying over my head. A little little <laughs> tiny fish. <laughs> you know, I'm just but sitting he was there aggressive. leaning back. <laughs> sitting there leaning back and then I felt the bite and I was like, Oh <laughs> slung him back.
4: <laughs> I see. She's yeah, I, honestly I'm, I know. The that's not the hooks that you want typically, but yeah. <laughs> you know. But the yeah. thing is, you know, we're dealing with a bass culture that has basically been, I don't know, conditioned to set the hook like that, yeah. you know, because they're used to having to expose a hook out of plastic,
3: mm-hmm. which is
4: why they do that. They want to try to pop that hook point out get it in the fish's mouth as quickly as possible. Well, with a with a Ned rig, oftentimes you've got an exposed hook. Therefore, you don't have to expose anything. It's already out. It's already making contact with flesh just tighten the line let it do the rest of the work on its own yeah
3: that's
4: usually the best way to do that yeah so especially when you're fishing light line i mean you just can't do a big hook set like that you want to let that thin wire hook do its job get secured and then you're going to have a much higher hookup percentage
2: so if we're if we're texas rigging it like i said on the shrooms hook do you Mm -hmm. think that does that require like a little bit heavier hook set than you typically would use.
4: I think I think you want to make sure that it's tight, and then pull a little bit to make sure they're on, because typically when I Texas rig it, when I do it, I just I leave a little bit of my hook point just kind of a little bit poking out, so that it's okay. going to come out easier. I don't bury it completely inside of it. Um, mm. I leave a little bit sticking out, so that the, so that the bait can go down that hook easier. But mm. the thing with the material, the elastic, is soft enough that. Once that fish presses down on that material, the hook point should expose without you having to force it through. And then that's what I'm saying. So once that once they bite down, that hook point's exposed, and you tighten the line, the hook point's going to make contact with flesh, and then it's going to be able to penetrate from there.
3: Yeah, and don't, like, elastic's not the best bait to do, like, um, where you bury the tip of the, the uh, hook, yeah. you know what I mean, yeah. like the hook point like because that stuff is so durable dude i've had fish hit set it have the fish hold on to it and like let go like five seconds later and then be like pull that lure out and the hook tip is still stuck in the bait dude like
2: (laughs) yeah
3: it's durable man it does its thing i mean over time yeah it's gonna you know hook point's gonna rip through anything but so yeah. yeah
4: so this this is how i would typically rig mine like that so i do have the hook point ready to go it's just kind of barely poking out there but it's it's ready to go i'm not going to miss them on that and i don't have to set the hook hard to get the hook point out it's it's ready to go and like josh says i mean yeah if if i were to you know bury it dead center of the plastic i'm gonna have a hard time getting that thing through on a hook set i'm gonna have to jerk it pretty hard to get it out there but i don't really need to do that i mean i can just get that thing just a little bit outside of that and then i'm ready to go
2: so since we're on the topic of a uh, texas rigging the Ned rigs you guys just released a new head didn't you we did
4: yeah we did we released a new head it's the uh it's called the nedlocks ewg so yes. basically this is we had um i've got the other one sitting here so we already had the finesse bullets, which I know a lot of people have already seen. So we've had the finesse mm-hmm. bullets. We came out with that when we came out with the TRD CRAW because we needed a way to be able to rig that weedless, um, primarily because when you think about a CRAW presentation in the water, you don't necessarily up. a natural CRAW presentation more like this, more to four or mm-hmm. five degree angle. You know and if you if you rig the trd craw just set up on up straight up shrooms head which you can but you put it on the bottom it's going to go like this which isn't necessarily a bad thing but if you want a more natural presentation you want it like that mm-hmm. so <clears throat> that's what the finesse bullet was designed for and that's why I had that bullet shaped head to come through cover grass things like that and then keep your bait at a 45 degree angle mm-hmm. the nedlock cwg though was designed to have the mushroom head to stand straight up mm-hmm. so that this thing would have that weedless opportunity but still the standard mushroom head that you want so the bait stands straight up like you're looking for you're not looking for a 45 degree angle on this you're looking for that bait to stand straight up so it's one of those uh, presentations where um i can take a a trd here and when i when i rig these on to here it's got that lead keeper on there so you've got a welded on Mm -hmm. keeper right here so you can keep the bait on And once you slide it up onto that keeper, that's essentially locking it in place. Now it's not going to go anywhere. And then I can just go ahead and just standard Texas rig it like that. And then I've got got a weedless TRD. So I've still got the weedless TRD, um, and it's going to stand up straight up on the bottom like it's supposed to now so the standard mushroom head design that a lot of people wanted um we have in a weedless option and what we did is we had the hook actually custom made for this because some of the ones that were already out there the hook was way too long yeah Um, and it was going way too far into the back part of the bait back here which kills all the action so we wanted to make sure that the hook was short enough to allow a lot of action back here but still have enough gap right there to hold that fish on. So you still have plenty of hook gap left over to keep the fish on once you do hook them. So you've got that set up, he takes it down, he's on plenty of retention area here and that's what we were looking for out of that design. So you're still gonna have a really high hookup percentage but you know, the difference between the two is I may want to have the the TRD craw rigged up on the finesse bullet
2: so Mm -hmm. that
4: this and I'll, i will show you this because a lot of people freak out when they see the lead on there They're like how are you going to get that over that without tearing it well the material doesn't tear it yeah. just slides it just you just slide it up over that lead and it goes right in place and then once it's up on here then you can just rig it up wait And now you've got the the trd craw rigged up and this guy's going to sit at this angle which is a lot okay. more natural than that
2: yep
4: well so that was kind of the premise behind that presentation right there
2: the so, uh uh, I, I like how you guys made the custom hooks too, because like you said, the I, I looked all over for some sort of like uh, EWG hook like that. And Everything I found, they just were a little bit too long for what I liked. Yeah. And that the the ones that you created that are releasing here uh, soon, uh, man, it, they look perfect. Yeah, they, they are so very I'm so glad effective. you guys did it.
4: Yeah, they are. They're really good, and it's the. The hook wire is still relatively thin, but it's a pretty strong hook for the size of, of what that wire is. So we're pretty confident that that hook's going to hold up. You know, because I mean, it was, it's always been something that's like, how do you rig this thing up weedless? I mean, before we had the weedless heads or the weedless options or even the heads themselves, you know, some of the things that like I was doing is I would take a small Gamakatsu G lock because it's a shorter profile um, hook and I would use that and put a split shot in front of it. Okay. And so I could so I could still rig up weedless and still kind of give it that jig head action, but use the weedless hook and a and a split shot. Well, I don't have to do that. Now I've got heads that I can rig up yeah. weedless. Well that happened to go through all that.
2: When do those release?
4: Um they'll actually be we released them at iCast and we're expecting to have those probably in stock, I believe, in November. Is when we okay. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot of stuff that we released at ICAST is going to be available to all later. Ho- in the year.
2: Hopefully, hopefully that's long after the pandemic ends, so we're not running through shortages of them. <laughs> <laughs>
4: God, I know. <laughs> it's like Man, it's of, been tough. I know it has. Yeah, it has. Absolutely been tough. You know, um, one of the other things I was going to tell you too is uh, we once this whole thing kicked off, you know, it was just a matter of what other kind of profiles can we have. Um, what other things can we do with this thing? You know, and, and Drew is full of lots of ideas. You know, that's how we came up with the TRD hogs too. We wanted to have a small creature bait. Um, and the cool thing about this is because of all those little ribs in there, mm-hmm. when this thing's descending through the water, it's actually catching air bubbles on the way down. And then when it does get to the bottom, it just releases all those air bubbles and just kind of comes to life. Oh. And the appendage is back here will move. But one of the things we did on this is we designed it so it has a flat surface area here where the legs are that's designed to make it glide down we didn't want it to drop straight down so that's right. how we designed them with this right here so that it actually has a gliding fall so you have that small creature bait profile and then of course we did the other creature bait profile which is the TRD bugs so we did the TRD bugs because we wanted kind of like that small flipping bait style body um, but something that was bulky, but would still fit all the standard Ned rig heads for all the standard Ned rig applications. So um, we had those, and then um, we had also introduced. We have a new one this year that's kind of a Ned rig application too, and it's it's called the uh, it's called the baby goat. Um, mm-hmm. We released a whole series of bases here called the goat. So this is the small one. We have three sizes. We have this one. We have a 375. And then we have a four and a quarter inch billy goat that we're doing. Um, so this is a really cool little bait to put on a net head too, because it's got these little kicking legs behind it. Mm-hmm. So as soon as on the way down, the legs are just going to be kicking the whole mm. way down or on a swim. You could fish it on a swimming retrieve, kind of like a little mini buzz frog. Um, a lot of different things you can do with that, but you know, it's got that clean profile too. So you could rig it up on a weedless option and punch it through cover just fine without it grabbing anything on the way through.
2: Throw that on the Willow vibe you guys just released as well. I have. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. Did I just give up some secrets?
4: No, it's okay. No, it's fine. That's
2: <laughs> the first thing that came to mind, man. I'm a river guy. I mean, so I, I, see something, I see something like a grub. I'm like,
4: that looks Yeah. Funny. Yeah, it's... <laughs> The whole, the whole net the way this whole thing is just blown up, I mean, really just blows our minds, honestly. Yeah, because you know, it started off total skepticism who's gonna buy a turd, you know, and you know, millions of turds later, we know the answer to that basically, everybody, <laughs> you know, and you know, it's funny now because everybody, it was so funny. One of the big things that came out was everybody talking about, well. I could do the same thing. I just cut a Senko in half. I get the same thing. No, no, you don't. You yeah. don't get the same thing at all. You're going to get a piece of plastic link dead on the bottom doing nothing. Yeah. You know? Whereas with this, you're going to get a bait that has action and stands up on the bottom. So no, it's not the same thing at all. You may think it's a similar profile, but it's not the same at all. Mm. And And even me, it took some convincing for me to get confidence in it. You know, and because I, one of the early on things I did, I was fishing in the river for smallies and um, I was using our slim swim, our little tiny swim bait, and I was fishing that just on a regular little jig head, and I caught about a 14 inch smallmouth, and I'm bringing it in. This giant largemouth is chasing it. I was like, okay, time for an upgrade. So, And he was in a small pocket. It wasn't like it was a big piece of water where I have to go find out where he went. I knew exactly where he was. It's a small pocket he was sitting in. So I go, I got you, buddy. So (laughs) I let that little smolly go. I threw that slim swim through like eight times, nothing, nothing, nothing. I'm like, come on. So I'm thinking, I had a copper truce TRD rigged up, ready to go. I'm like, well, if this thing works, now's the time to figure it out. It didn't even hit the bottom. (laughs) Oh, jeez.
2: That's awesome.
4: I mean, so I'm trying to process the logic in my head that, wait a minute, this thing was ready to eat a 14-inch smallmouth, but would not eat a two-and-a-half-inch swim bait coming by him, but eats a turd that's falling <laughs> from the sky. I have no idea what possesses a fish to do this. Should, you know? should
2: have told them beggars can't be juicies, man, <laughs> before you released them. <laughs> <I know.
4: laughs> That was I. Was, I remember that fish vividly because that was one of the ones that really convinced me how effective this thing can be. Yeah. Yeah, you because know, I mean, this guy just turned down easy money, you know, and I'm just shocked he won't eat it. And but he eats that.
2: Yeah. It fish fishing's weird, man. I don't I don't get it most of the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's,
3: it's Glenn. Awful. I have a question for you, um, and this isn't to like kind of shed bad light by any means on z-man or the trd but i recently saw a video where somebody had done a video um about like the mortality rate and for bass i saw that yeah yeah and they were blaming the trd Uh in a sense but he's not he's not like dogging the bait he's talking about it like um, he's talking the
4: technique
3: yeah the technique itself and um you know, throwing the the basically, yeah, the, the basically throwing like Ned style baits. Now, um, you know, I watched it. Um, I was intrigued by it because you can see that happening. Um, it's a like Brad mentioned something, and maybe. Th- and the reason I'm asking you this is, maybe you can shed some light on how did somebody, like an angler, can improve their technique and try to keep things like this from happening. Because Brad's talking about, you know, that bait you let it drop down. You let a lot of times it's dropping down a slack line. You don't even feel that bite. You see your line move. Well, sometimes that's, that's a little too late. And then you realize that you've got hooked a bass or, you know, that sort of thing. And then that's where you get into a little bit of issues with trying to save the bass and that sort of thing. So, um, when I saw that, I saw both sides to the story in a sense. Um, only just basically because i don't really look into a lot of times when somebody's just kind of like expressing an opinion like that but i'll look at back in my own experiences right and i'm like yeah there's been times i've been lucky that i haven't ever got hooked or hooked one bad but also i'm the same guy who was losing 75 percent of them getting headshot. so and i don't use it that often like that bait i will it's literally like the last presentation i'll go to like finesse you know, I will at that point fish, that thing. Um, but I wanted to ask you because who better to ask this, somebody who has extreme knowledge of these baits, who knows the, the techniques, the best, you know, and get your opinion. What can an angler do to avoid having that, that possibility of I know it's always a possibility. It's any bait always. you throw, there's always that possibility. But yep. how can we decrease those chances of, you know, that, that fish swallowing that bait and what, what we can do as anglers to improve?
4: Well, one thing is, you know, if you can not let them swim off swallowing it, you know, and, and before you set the hook, but sometimes that's just unavoidable. unavoidable. It really is. I mean, honest, time, they're going to pick it up on a slack line. You don't know he's there mm-hmm. until he started swimming off of it. He picked it up on the drop. You don't know that you know until you go to set the hook on them Look, like it's just it really it's a matter of percentages i think the reason they some of these people see more percentages because there's more and more people doing this yeah. than what there was before you're going to have a hook mortality rate no matter what i've seen plenty of guys brain a fish with a five odd ewg driven right through the center of its skull you know as many times as i've seen people gut hook a fish with bait so you know it can happen with anything you know yeah. i just think that the reason it was drawing so much attention is because of how prevalent the technique is. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately I do think anytime you're throwing a smaller hook, a smaller bait like that, you're probably going to increase the chances that you're going to eventually gut hook one. Yeah. I don't think there's any getting around that. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can, you can be as careful as you want, but eventually it's going to happen. I mean, I guarantee you it happens with Carolina rigged worms all the time.
1: Mm-hmm. In
4: fact, um, you know, going back to that tournament that I really sucked at one of the fish I picked up on my schedule and Friday, Friday puked up a seven inch plastic worm when yeah. I got hmm. him in the boat. Okay. He swallowed that. All right. And that was a seven inch worm that he threw up when I got him into my boat. <laughs> you know, so you can gut hook anything with anything. It's, yeah. it's going, it's the nature of fishing. Yeah. And like I said, I really only think it was, it's garnering attention because of the number of people actually using you the know. technique. Yes. That how much sense. more widely available it is and how many people are doing it, drawing attention to it. Because I can guarantee if they went out and did a hooking mortality study on people that are Carolina rigging drop shot and good Lord, I've seen plenty of fish choke a drop shot. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. I mean, I mean, it it can simply happen with with any bait. I don't necessarily think the percentage is that much higher with a net rig than what it is with other ones. Yeah. You know, it it might be only because of the fact that it is a smaller bait and a smaller hook, but it can possibly get down there further. But I mean, really, that was the first time that I had heard of it being a problem and needing to be addressed. You know, by somebody. And I don't know how accurate the data is, but I, I saw the same video you did, and I thought it was fascinating. Mm. Yeah. I,
2: I, I will say though the, the longer i've used this technique the the less that happens for myself yeah, yeah. so
4: i mean look i've i've done it yeah I've had and i think with it because i throw it all the time yeah Eventually, and i'm just gonna get it deep
3: and it's one of those techniques and it's just it's like any technique you learn you're, you're gonna go like trial by fire basically it's i'm gonna get out there um i'm not gonna be used to throwing it i'm not gonna be used to what a bite feels like you know what i mean i'm not gonna be like that was the thing like you that technique is completely different you're not feeling thumps double taps on it you know like you're literally studying your line you know you throw down there study the line and look for a line twitch you know and so like when i saw the video like Like it made sense, but at the same time, I almost felt like it was kind of like, I don't know. It was almost like in a sense to garner like attention in a way Mm -hmm. that it was almost clickbaity because I was like, oh, what's this about? You know, like something that's new. And then I was kind of like, well, yeah, but that mean, it's like you said, I was like, there's tons of small baits out there. It doesn't even have to be a TRD, like any small bait. Like you can be out there throwing a tiny little crappie bait and then you get a, a bass that's gonna attack it because you know sometimes mm-hmm. they're just in the middle in the mood for tiny baits like it's just right. it's gonna happen and um and uh and i was really what it disappointed me about the video the most was this was a bass boat i think he was a bass boater so i'm he like was. you know this is kind yeah and these are coming for this is coming from guys who take fish off beds Transport them yes. twenty miles down the lake, and then they get released yeah. in the marina with you know hundred something other bass. Like well, I'm ask like, ask him
4: how many fish he's brained over his career. <laughs> you know, I'm, I can guarantee you it's plenty. But you know, I think there's there's two things to keep in mind with this. All right, in order to prevent mortality, one, I think ang- anglers need to fully educate themselves on proper hook removal techniques, mm-hmm. because that's a big key issue. When a fish takes something deep, it's not a lost cause. There are ways right. you can go up underneath the gills, yeah. and you can remove that hook that way. You can fish barbless hooks if you want to, if you're really concerned about it. Go barbless. Yeah. You know, you're really not going to lose that many more fish fishing barbless. I mean, I was a full-time salmon guide for 10 years, and it was barbless pretty much the entire time. But I can guarantee you, any fish I lost wasn't because it didn't have a barb. It was because of poor hook placement or angler error. Mm-hmm. You know, so... There are options. The other thing to consider in this, if you if you're really concerned about hook mortality, stop throwing toxic plastics at them. Yeah. You know the benefit of elastic is it's non toxic, no PVCs, no phthalates. If they swallow it, no harm done, no mm-hmm. big deal. They'll just poop it right out, and it'll float to the top, and then it's done.
3: So then you got your you know, turd back.
4: And then you get your <laughs> Sorry, turd. The, it. It, well, the turd becomes a turd, so it's really yeah. kind of the ultimate cycle. <laughs> You know? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I saw that a few months back and, you know, I was just like, you know, it, it, it was just I was kind of like watching it. And I'm like, I, I just kind of didn't get it and got it. Like, I, I'm like, uh,
4: you know. I, total, sometimes... I totally got it and I understood exactly where he was coming from. I mean, yeah. you know, the concern was for, you know, the fishery itself and the health of the fishery. I totally get that. But, you can't just focus on that one thing. You right. can't. If you're really concerned about the health of the fishery, then focus on the other factors. How many toxic worms has that guy left in a fish Yeah. over the years? How many toxic worms has he left in a lake
3: over the like, years? Or the sheer fact of like lead for so long. I'm like, yes. you know, I've got guys who are like, you know, these purists, and they're like, yeah. Um catch and release and blah blah blah. But then I'm like, dude, you guys are just dropping lead like left and right. And I don't care that it's tiny, like that stuff stays. Right. Okay. I mean, we're talking about, you know, you have regulations of how much fish you should consume. You know each year and you know the number one pollutant are heavy metals and lead is one of those, you know And it's like yeah, we are fishing with yeah And I mean i'm i'm not one to i'm not trying to be like an environmentalist about it by any means I just I can't stay in the contradiction that you see a lot of times In Mm -hmm. somebody who points something out like that and then turn around and you're like But you guys yet do this this and this and this you know, and so stop judging others or like trying to bring like this negative light onto somebody else. It just doesn't, sure. it doesn't sit well with me. So.
4: No, but I, I just honestly to think get- if you're interested in the conversation, there are bigger if- issues to bring mm-hmm. up um, about preserving our fisheries and taking care of the fish. Mm-hmm. The Nedrig is not going to wipe out the bass fishery. Right. Sorry, it's not going to. It's going to survive the Nedrig years. I promise you. You know, <laughs> so you know the other issues are like you mentioned earlier. All right, you're yanking fish off of a bed, and you're yanking, you're hauling them 20 miles down the lake to a weigh-in. You know, I mean, how does that affect the fishery? I think there are a lot more um, matters that have to be discussed other than just Nedrig rig mortality rates. Right, right. You know, I can see why it was a concern to him because of the fact that so many more people are doing it now and so that if if it is a mortality issue it's only going to increase because the number so i totally understand that and that concern you know that this guy's concerned you've got all these millions of people now that are throwing this type of a rig that's only going to increase the mortality rate but i just think more and more people fishing period will increase the mortality rate you know And then, like I said, you can take other steps. You want to fish partless, go barbless. You want to go non-toxic, go non-toxic. You know, I mean, if you want to learn how to properly release a gut hook fish study, it's on the internet. It's not hard to find, and I highly recommend every angler do it. Yeah. Because I don't care how long you've been fishing, you're going to encounter that. And you want to be able to deal with it, you know. So there are lots of ways that, as an angler, you can really take care of your own fishery, you know, and, and monitor your own backyard. And make sure that what you're doing are all the right things to do. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like I said, I mean, I totally understand the concern and how it came about. Um, I personally don't see it as the most important issue involving, you know, our fish populations right now. Yeah.
2: I agree 100%. Yeah. You know? So I think we're winding down here, aren't we, Josh? Yeah.
3: Yeah, thanks, Glenn, for joining us again, man. Like oh, Brad is. mentioned, uh, you—I think you might be sitting at the top as our most popular uh, previous episode, man. Maybe we could try to top it again. I don't know Chatterbaits, Chatterbaits, so popular. It's like, kind of it hard is. to be. That one.
4: I, I mean, and I this didn't even have the new ones when I did that one. Imagine <laughs> if I had the new ones. We Correct. may have to do like a uh, a Chatterbait part two. <laughs> oh,
2: we're we're definitely gonna do one because. I'm a Chatterbait <laughs> fan, man, so... Yeah.
4: yeah. Well, I mean, you got the new Stealth Blade, you got the Willow Vibes, you got some cool stuff. And I will say one thing about that little Willow Vibe. Um, I think you're going to see it used for a lot of different fisheries. It's kind of a finesse little Chatterbait. Yes, I, can, I cannot and
2: wait. I, that's the first thing I saw... I, I don't... I, I saw great. the Stealth... I saw the Stealth yeah. Jackhammer and then I saw the Willow Vibe. I was like, nope, I want the Willow Vibe.
4: <laughs> yeah. Vibration is going to amaze you on that. The first time I threw it out, I, I was... In my kayak, and I just kind of chucked it up behind me. I have my rod here, I could feel it in my chest. <laughs> <I> was- <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's moving. Awesome. Yeah. So, and one more thing before I go. So, um, going back to like the history and the original, the, the uh, gopher heads, one of the things that we did introduce this year is we brought back the gopher head because gopher went out of business. They stopped making the original gopher head. So, we brought one out. So, we remade the, the gopher head. It's called the OG so it's the og mushroom head it's the original gopher style head we put a oh, yeah. better quality emc hook on it but it's got the same exact same design as the original og so um we brought that out for all those you know hardcore midwest finesse guys it's a smaller hook um the uh the heaviest weight we got the three thirty second ounce is a size two and then the others are a size four so i mean it's a it's a tiny little hook but a lot of guys like that smaller hook when they're finesse fishing they don't want the big hooks they want the smaller hooks they're more comfortable with it, and that's what got the whole thing started anyway, was that tiny little goat bread. So a lot of guys wanted to go back to that. So we kind of brought that out just uh, just for the, for those guys, those hardcore guys like that. It's
2: always good to bring back the old baits that used to work so well. Yeah. I always see, always see that. It's always a cycle. I think we'll start seeing stuff from the 50s and 60s make a comeback soon.
4: <laughs> well, some of it never left either, right? Yeah, we're that's still, true. We're that's still finishing rubber worms, aren't we? Yeah. Yep so I mean, that never went away we're still throwing spinner baits you know they're still True. throwing also wood crankbaits you know i mean a lot of that stuff just never went away you know there's always something new that comes out and thank god the bass don't read the magazines
2: <laughs> 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 well awesome man uh, appreciate you coming on you got any uh anybody you'd like to thank
4: Um, Yeah, actually, everybody at Z-Man, honestly, I mean, an incredible team that we've got there in that building. Um, I mean, we are right now all hands on deck. We are experiencing the highest order volume we have ever seen in our lives um, at this place right now. It's absolutely insane. And everybody in that company has stepped up in a huge way, huge, huge way. You know, we're all doing it in a very safe way. Everybody's following all the rules. Um, and I think just think they've done a phenomenal job. I mean, from the head down, from Daniel Nussbaum, our president, all the way down the line to our warehouse crew and our, and our plant people um, have just done a phenomenal job um, of building this brand, getting the right baits out for people, uh, making sure that uh, the stuff we design is there to catch fish. You know, it's not there to win awards, even though we won an award this year at the ICAS show with the uh, Stealth Blade. But, you know, I mean, I can guarantee you that the TRD has sold more Units than any other one go, you know, at the ICAST show. But you don't expect turd to allure contests and win. Yeah. So, you know, it's just not how that works. It's not fancy and you know cool. It's it's a turd, but you know it's caught more fish than all those other ones have. You know, and I think that's one thing that I think Z-Man I think does really really well is coming up with the stuff that you guys want to fish with stuff that's going to help you guys put more fish in the boat giving you another option another color i mean the nedrig started off as that little finesse shad and that trd minnow and now we've got you know the trd in 28 colors and we've got nine different body profiles we've got eight different head options you know for this stuff so you know it continues to grow only because you know people like you out there And the people that are going to listen and watch this want. I mean, it's the stuff they're looking for. Give them another option. Give them another profile to throw. You know, I mean, let's show the fish something different, but let's make something that's going to work. It's going to last you. It's going to be environmentally responsible at the same time. You know, let's just all do it right. Yep.
2: Well, uh, congrats to Z-Man. Tell everybody at the uh, uh, factory there, uh, congrats and keep killing killing
4: it. Absolutely. We sure will, man.
2: Appreciate so stay it. To, on. Yeah.
4: Well, all the new stuff will be out probably by the end of the year. So keep your eyes peeled.
3: We'll have Can't you back be- on again.
4: Okay. <laughs> Can't you know wait to find
3: me. You'll be the first three, Peter, I think.
4: <laughs> a title I'll wear proudly.
3: <laughs> right. Unless we're counting like you're going to prison or like three strikes and you, you know, it's a felony <laughs> charge, Glenn. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. <laughs>
2: But I appreciate
3: you coming back, man. Okay. Um, you know, I was excited to do this uh, episode. I almost missed it because I had some family stuff come up. But um, I got it taken care of. So that's that was one reason I was like, all right, and I'm rushing around. And Brad's like, let's try to sound test early. And I'm like, yeah, I look down. I'm like, it's 7.55 when I finally saw that text. <laughs> and like, Hopefully they went in and started without me. So, But thanks again for coming on. Oh, uh, it's always time. There it's it always an enjoyment to have you on, on the podcast, but look forward to doing it again. So
4: anytime guys, I loved it. So hats off to all your listeners out there too. I think uh, you guys are doing a fantastic job out there.
2: All Thanks. Right. Brad, anything else? Um, Yeah, this is going to air Thursday. Uh, tune in to the OG show. I don't, I don't remember who they have on Thursday night, but if you miss it on Facebook live, it will uh, air Friday. podcast format on Friday. So that's all we got. Awesome. All right. Everybody have a good night, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace
3: out,
4: guys.
1: See ya. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on paddle and fin. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, and fin.com. Com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Fin. If you've got a question, comment, and want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and finn at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler. The Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. TRC Covers, protect your investment. Catch Products, shout out to Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com and put the Paddle and Fin logo directly on your catch board. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com, use promo code PNF20, and save 20% on all your jig and tackle needs.